Let's pray. God, will you teach us something good here this morning? I already sense your presence. We're so glad for the adventure of being able to be here, for the way you've been working in and through our body. Teach us now from your word, which we recognize as having come from your hand, as prescriptive in our lives and reliable from front to back. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Marcus Aurelius called it nature's delight. Napoleon said that without it, the loss of one's superiority is inevitable. JFK referred to it as the law of life and said that those who refused to embrace it were destined to miss the future. Stephen Covey lists it along with choice and principles as one of the three constants of life. John Wooden said that failure to embrace it might be more fatal than failure itself. Woodrow Wilson said, if you have no enemies and you want to make some, and you want to make some enemies for life, just try doing it to something. There's a common saying, and the saying pretty much says it all as it introduces our topic for this morning. You maybe have heard this saying, the saying is, nobody likes change but a baby. <laughs> and I doubt that more accurate words were ever spoken with this new grandson in our home, where at least I'm relearning. My wife's a mom's and baby's nurse, so she's doing this every day, but I'm relearning how to handle an infant and quickly comfortable with it. But I'm relearning that if he's cranky, it's basically one of three things. He either is hungry or needs to be burped or needs to have his, his diaper changed. And if, if none of those are wrong, need to be dealt with, and he's still cranky, he's just being Italian. So, you know, you, but he loves being changed. In fact, when we lay him down on his back and he sees the colors, and little, he, he actually calms down sometimes while you're changing, uh, changing his diaper. Nobody likes change but a baby. That's why when we meet somebody who not only embraces change, but is excited by change and gains from change in his or her life. We're pretty impressed with them. And we're going to get reacquainted with somebody just like that this morning as we dip into a rather obscure book, but one that's great and powerful for us, the book of Ruth. Let me tell you very quickly, because I'm just going to be dip dipping in and out of some of the book of Ruth. We're not going to read the book of Ruth, although it's just a handful of chapters. But let me fill your, uh, refamiliarize us with the story of Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's the daughter-in-law of a woman named Naomi. Naomi and her sons uh, ended up in Moab, because of a drought in Israel, they had to move. Uh, Naomi's husband moved their family. They get down to, over to Moab, and their sons take wives for themselves from that region. Two sons. Dad dies, and then each of the sons dies, unfortunately, tragically, while they're there. And so now Naomi and her two daughters-in-law are away from Naomi's country, in a strange place with strange people and no protection, no hope for a future. The only hope they have for a future 
is since Naomi's so old, Naomi's convinced she's not going to be able to remarry and have a way to care for her daughters-in-law. So she's concerned for them and says to them, look, let me take this hit. I'm old. I'll deal with it. You're still young enough to find husbands from your people. Leave me. I'm going to go back to my people, Israel. You stay here. Go back to your families. You can get hooked up with some other men, and you can still have a future. And these gals love her so much that they're torn about this. One of them finally says, sadly, okay, I'll do that, kisses her, and weeping all the way goes back to her family, and we assume picks up another husband and is cared for. One of The other daughter-in-law named Ruth, after whom the book is named, refuses to leave Naomi, and in effect says, I would rather suffer and struggle and die loyal to you than to go back and just have an easier life. And so they go together back to Israel, and Naomi is out in the fields. Is one of the ways that they cared for the poor in that day was the, the corners of the fields were left unharvested, and the poor could go, and they had certain rights to go and harvest there. There was some risk of a woman on her own going and harvesting in those fields. But they had to do it. That was their only way of, of uh, making sure they ate. She goes to one of the fields and begins to exercise that right. And she meets the owner of that field, a man named Boaz. Through a series of events, she's guided by her mother-in-law, Naomi, because remember, Ruth's not from there. She doesn't really know the customs. She doesn't really know the family. She's never had any time with them there. Naomi says to Ruth, go into this field and harvest, pick up whatever you can in the field. She meets Boaz there and takes some steps that Naomi advises her to take that connects her with Boaz, who is a redeemer kinsman. A redeemer kinsman was somebody in line to marry you if your husband died. And the idea would be that then your family's inheritance would sort of be protected in your family. You would come under that roof, be cared for. And there was, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a list uh, of order. And this person's first, and if they don't want to redeem you, then this person does. You go right, right down the list. She meets Boaz. They connect and are married. And it's a great story of God's grace and mercy. But nobody likes change but a baby and a great person like Ruth. When we're experiencing change, when change is our new normal, and here we are, change now is our new normal. It really always has been, but it's obvious today. Change is our new normal. It's going to be for a while. It's going to be change uh, Speaking of babies, with the way we handle fussing babies, when you just go out into the hallway and walk them, and because you know we have limited uh, care for the kids here now that we wouldn't have at our other facility, change in the way we park, change in the seating that feels normal to us, change in the fact that we are two gatherings in one now, and you get to meet all kinds of new people, change in the style of music we can do, change in everything, all around us. When we're in those changes, because they're not limited just to church, worship, they're, they're in life, aren't they? Change is the new normal. 
if we learn from the example of Ruth, we learn that there are some really critical questions that we can always ask when change is the new normal. These are what I call questions for a fruitful exile. Questions that make change productive in our lives. And through the example of Ruth, I just want to take a moment to introduce those questions and ask some of them. And here's the first question we ask when change is the new normal, if that change, if that exile, whether temporary or long-term, is going to be fruitful. Question number one. In this exile, in this change, is there some new truth that God wants me to learn? And this might be truth I perhaps would have never confronted or even seen had I not been introduced to this change. Is there some new truth to learn? In other words, what new knowledge is waiting to be discovered precisely and specifically because of this change that I'm experiencing? What does God want to teach me through this new scenario? Are my eyes going to be open to something that I can add to what I already know? What opportunities does this change introduce into my life that will result in growth, spiritual growth, intellectual growth? Is there some new truth to learn? Because that was true for Ruth. In chapter 1 of this story, verse 11 through 16 specifically, Ruth, because of this change she gets committed to, learns more about God. In fact, she, she decides to yield her life to the God of Israel, the true God. Listen to what this says. Naomi says, return home, my daughters, speaking to both daughters-in-law. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? And the implication there is if I had sons, then they would become your husbands. If I had other living sons, you would come under their care. But I don't have any more sons. Now she's old. Am I going to have more sons that could become your husbands? Return home. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And this and at this they wept aloud, and then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. That's the other daughter-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And then, very important, listen to this. Your God will be my God. The depth of connection that Ruth takes on just because she was willing to face a change, in fact, choose an exile. And the things that she learned were deeply theological. She would have never learned them, not at the same depth. Is there something new here in a change that God wants us to learn? She learned about the love of God, and then she chose to follow him. She learned about the impressive beauty of character and the rewards of loyalty. Now, she learned so much more than this. i just give you a couple of examples here. Later on, Ruth encounters Boaz, and they have a conversation with this eligible man, much older than Ruth, apparently, 
sees something in her that's really impressive. Boaz says to Ruth, now she's been in the fields gleaning, so we're jumping the story here, and he's having a conversation with her and giving her some instructions. He says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, uh, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the woman who worked for me. Watch uh, the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you, and wherever you, whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water that my people have uh, provided here. In other words, you're more than just a person coming and harvesting the corners. You're sort of like in the family here. You have more rights. I want you to be cared for. She bows down after that, puts her face to the ground, and asks him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me, an undocumented alien, a foreigner? And Boaz replies, and listen to this, here's Ruth is learning about the impressive beauty of character and the rewards of loyalty in this new culture that she's a part of. Boaz answers that question specifically. Here's what's so impressive. Here's why you found favor. I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. And how you left your father and your mother in your homeland and came to live with a people you didn't even know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't even have the standing of one of your servants. She learns about the impressive beauty of character, of loyalty. That's one of the questions we need to ask, to take note of when we're in the middle of some kind of a change. Get in touch with how you feel and how you respond when the sand is shifting underneath you, when, when your cheese gets moved. The question to ask is this, Lord, this isn't just something uncomfortable and weird. Is there something new here in this change for me to learn? Second question, is there something new for me to learn? Is there something good in this change that you want me to receive? Robert Kennedy said that one of the reasons change is so difficult to see is that it has so many enemies. And unfortunately, tragically, he proved the veracity of his own statement at the cost of his own life. But sometimes the changes we oppose, the changes we resist, big and small, are actually meant to be the very means of God's provision. In other words, I'm saying sometimes we spend our life praying for, Lord, provide this new job. Lord, provide this new friendship. Lord, provide this new home for my family, whatever it might be. And the Lord's answer to prayer is sometimes some change in our life. He wants to put us in a new situation, and often He wants to use that situation to answer our prayer. And we're spending so much time resisting the change that we can miss out on what God wants to provide for us. That was certainly true with Ruth. Does God want to use this change to provide for me, to give me something I need, something good? Because she changed her loyalties and attached herself to her mother-in-law, 
Look at all the good that Ruth experiences. And mind you, she would have not experienced these had she not made the decision to go into exile with her mother-in-law. Don't, don't, don't force me to leave you. Whatever it costs, your people are going to be my people, your God's going to be my God. I'm going with you, even though my sister-in-law, and rightfully so, went back to the people with whom she was more familiar. And look at what Ruth benef- how Ruth benefits from that. Obviously, she encounters her future husband, Boaz. She lies down at the feet of Boaz on the threshing field and in so doing, symbolically asks him to exercise his right as her kinsman redeemer. That really was a passive marriage proposal. That was Ruth saying, if you're into it, I'm kind of hoping you'll take me under your roof. It was, a, it was a respectful way to do it, but she still did that. And that leads to a change in her life that probably saves her life. It also elevates her to a rather noble place in Christian history, all because there was a day when she stood there and made a decision, and the decision was to lean into change and not to resist it. Is there something good that God wants me to receive because of the shifting sand in my life? A couple of things we see, by the way, in the example of Ruth that are always true before something good comes from God when there's a change. And and here they are. You see Ruth admitting her need, admitting her vulnerability. So in chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, she went down to the threshing floor at the instruction of her mother-in-law, by the way, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do, because She goes, she's treated well by Boaz, goes back and tells the story of what happened. The mother-in-law Naomi says, oh, he's one of our kinsmen. Here, here's what you do from now on. Tonight, or soon, go down there and do this and this and this. Naomi, who understands the customs of the people, instructing her daughter-in-law who doesn't understand the customs of the people, and there's going to be great benefit from Ruth leaning into this change. She went down to the threshing floor, did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking, and was good in good spirits, he went over to, the, uh, to lie down at the far end of his grain pile. You, you were harvesting your grain. It was a big pile. You needed to protect your grain from somebody who would come and take a few shovels full. And so the owner of the grain, uh, if he was wealthy enough to own a field but not wealthy enough to hire servants to do this for him, would lay down by his grain pile and basically guard uh, his grain pile. And Naomi had said, go down, and uncover his feet after he's asleep, and lay down at the bottom at, at his feet. That's a symbolic statement in our culture. And so she does that. When Boaz had finished, he goes down to the pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down, just like Naomi had said. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Startled is an understatement, I would say. He's probably wondering what was in that wine, you know. <laughs> and he says, another understatement, oh, excuse me, who are you? <laughs> I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Now spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. This is all symbolism. She lies at his feet and she admits her vulnerability. That's a symbol of yieldedness. I'm going to serve you. That's what that means. 
for him then to respond by laying his garment over her feet is him accepting the opportunity to take her into his family and to marry her. One of the things that needs to happen before change results in good in our lives is we have to be vulnerable enough, receptive enough to admit to God, we need something good to happen in our lives. I need, I need something. And could this change be the beginning of your answer to my prayers? And then, because listen to this, you cannot expect a godly blessing from an ungodly plan. You see the second thing going on that always precedes receiving something good from God. She and Boaz and Naomi, for that matter, leave everything to God. They go down, they, here's this statement of hope and openness. But you see no sinister maneuvering or conniving on the part of Ruth or Naomi or Boaz. Look later in chapter 3, beginning at verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz replies. She expresses this love for him. The ki this kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the young men whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'll do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character, although this is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family. And listen to the integrity here. She receives it, Naomi understands it, and he makes her aware if she wasn't already aware. There's another who is more closely related to I. In other words, he's saying, man, I'm honored. I love you. I would love to be married to you, but there's somebody else ahead of me in line. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Now lie here until morning. And so she lays at his feet, got up before anyone could be recognized, so just before the sun came up, he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He's concerned for her integrity. And then he says, bring me a shawl, and he fills it with several measures of grain to take back to her mother-in-law. She goes back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? And she told her everything that Boaz had done for her. And then she said, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then listen to this. Here's Naomi saying, we're, we're trusting God with this result. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. You just see integrity at every level. No conniving, no manipulating, no lying. Two things that go before receiving something good from God. You've got to admit your vulnerability. And then, you've heard this phrase before, you've got to leave it in the hands of God. Sometimes what that means is we act with complete integrity even when it puts our hoped-for result at risk. Can't say, God, please take care of me, and then go and do dishonest or deceitful things to try to make stuff happen. Well, is there something good to receive? That's still the second question that we're talking about. And we see some of the good things that Ruth receives she gets this husband. I think the greatest blessing of all that Ruth received from leaning into this change, this profound, 
Ruth becomes the great-grandmother through this marriage she has with Boaz of King David. And then through that, Ruth becomes one of the great women through whom Jesus himself is introduced into the world. Now, several generations upon generations upon generations back. When you look at the, uh, the lineage of Jesus, there are only three or four women in Matthew's account anyway mentioned, and Ruth's one of them. So, so Jesus is her, she, he's in the direct line of Ruth. What an honor. Change is difficult. Change hurts. That's why most people don't care that much for it. But sometimes the change we resist is actually the answer to the prayers we offer. It's so important to remember that. When change and exile are inevitable, ask yourself a helpful question. Does God have something beneficial for me here? This discomfort that I don't like so much, is it actually God in the process of giving me something good? So is there some new truth to learn? Is there something good to receive? And finally, this question. This is my favorite of all the three questions. God's made a change in my life, introduced this detour. And here's the question. Is there someone else to love? Is there someone new for me to bless? Has he caused this detour so that I could meet people I would not have normally met in order for me to bless them? Because, you know, wherever we go, we find people in need of blessing. Have you noticed that? In fact, wherever we go, we are a person in need of blessing. But wherever we go, whether it's the Home Depot or the Starbucks, or have you learned about Smashburger yet? Mm. I love blessing people at Smashburger, I'll tell you that. Smashburger has rendered Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out that are coming to North County irrelevant. Smashburger has rendered, who's the, on the Miracle Mile, what's that burger everybody talks about? Phyllis who? But we'll get, that's another sermon on the Smashburger. Wherever we go, there are people in need of a blessing. And God has said to his church, he hasn't changed his objective for us being on earth. I want you to bless everybody you come in contact with. That's why I have you here. The question, is there somewhere else for me to bless? The sand has shifted. I'm in exile. I've got this detour in life. There must be somebody else God wants me to meet that I can bless. Whom do I see in my new setting that I can love in the name of Christ. Who is in my life because of this change that God wants me or us to bless? And I, I challenge you with the obvious question for us being here. I want in 20 weeks or however long we're here, when it's all done, I dream with a big smile on my face, all of us do, all of us who are leaders in this church that the workers at the embassy suites would say, no, I hope that your project takes longer. It was never so wonderful. We've never been treated with such goodness and generosity and kindness as we were when that church was here. The workers in the front lobby, the workers serving the $3 cup of coffee. The... Is there somebody here 
that God wants us to love that we would never have encountered had we not come off the hill here. By entering her self-imposed exile, Ruth, for instance, becomes a blessing to Boaz as well as him being a blessing to her. Listen to this. Boaz says, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. And, and just a few verses later, he says to her, uh, after she, she says, lay, he says, lay your feet here until morning, but, but go up before anyone could be recognized. Go back up to town, because she's done the threshing floor. Go back up to town before anybody can be recognized. Do it in the cover of darkness, just before the sun comes up. Because no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And I ask the question, why this obsession? Why this great appreciation for the character of Ruth? Some insight comes when you read the lineage of Jesus in Matthew 1. And you realize Boaz is the son of a prostitute. Boaz, who understood how people whisper and understood what it meant to be the son of a prostitute, the prostitute Rahab, is Boaz's mom. And so he has this elevated sense of protecting the woman's honor. Nobody's going to gossip about this woman of great character. Now it makes sense when you look how impressed he is with character. And what a blessing it must feel like to him to think, wow, a woman of character like that would pass up all these young men and not pursue them and choose the son of a hooker. Boaz is a blessing to Ruth. Ruth is a blessing to Boaz. She touches his heart. She blessed him by being such a woman of character and wanting to, choosing to marry him. Imagine how much that must have meant to him. Now you see why he speaks so well of her. And Ruth also, because of the self-imposed exile, becomes a blessing to Naomi. In chapter 1, back to verse 16 again, you have Ruth identifying with Naomi's people both in life and death. So she says, your people, I read this already, but your people, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. We're connecting. Your God will be my God. And then she goes on, where you die, I will die. It's like, do you get this, mother-in-law? Your land's going to be my land. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. Still don't get it. Where you die, I will die. Wherever they bury you, they're going to bury me. I mean, the Lord deal with me, be it ever so harshly, if even death separates you and me. Naomi become, or Ruth becomes a great blessing to, me, to Naomi because of this exile. Remember the question, is there someone else the Lord wants me to bless through this exile. I would have never seen them if I didn't choose to be in this. And then later on, in chapter 2, you see that Ruth is actually feeding Naomi. Naomi probably would have withered away without Ruth. Because we already know she was an older woman. She's thought, I'm never going to be able to get another husband. What kinsman redeemer is going to choose her? 
As she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves. This, we've gone back now. He's talking about Ruth again in the fields. Don't reprimand her. This is before the proposal and all the symbolism of that. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. It's like, let's make it even easier for her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening and then she threshed the barley and she, that she had gathered. It amounted to about an ephah. And she carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered and Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten because Boaz had said, feed her too. And so you have Ruth because of this exile she chose, and because she meets Boaz and goes in this field, coming home and giving the leftover food that she had from the lunch to her mother-in-law and the grain that she had harvested. She's a blessing to Naomi and to Boaz. You know what? Every change, every move to a new neighborhood, every transition to a new school or a new locker or a new job or even a change in route to a driving vacation is an opportunity to see and therefore bless somebody new. We've got to ask those questions if our exiles are going to be fruitful exiles. Is there some new truth to learn? Is there something good to receive? Is there someone new that needs to be loved, that needs to be blessed? Ruth shows us that. We began this message with several quotes about change from famous people. Let's end it the same way. With two of my favorite quotes on the subject of change. One comes from a former army chief of staff who I believe was speaking at a conference to military leaders. He said to them, because he was arguing about how the army, everything needs to change. We need to quit thinking old thoughts. He said this in the middle of that talk. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. I believe the Lord would say to the church, not in theology, but in approach, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Perhaps that general was familiar with somebody who's more familiar to us, C.S. Lewis. He, in effect, said the same thing. This is more playful language. He said, it may be hard for an egg to turn into a bird. It would be a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while remaining an egg. He says, Lewis goes on to say, we are like eggs at present, and you cannot go on indefinitely being just an ordinary, decent egg. We must be hatched or go bad, one or the other. If you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance. You're going to like stinky rottenness even less. And today, Marine Covenant Church launches out into some pretty significant change. It's exciting change. It's prayed for change, even though we still don't have a building permit. Don't moan. We think it's coming Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> it's imminent. Yes, it is. Here's the question. Will we face that change like Ruth did? I wonder if we'll ask the kinds of questions that will transform 
our time here from necessary nuisance to fruitful exile? Is there some new truth to learn? Is there something good to receive? Is there someone new to bless?